0: Hello everyone, welcome to the Lifestyles Medicine Podcast brought to you by Pathways to wholeness Lifestyle Medicine. Last episode we brought you part 1 of registered dietitian Lauren McNeil's talk where she debunks common myths about plant-based nutrition. Lauren McNeil is a registered dietitian practicing in the Toronto area. She has a special focus on plant-based nutrition. Today we take you to the final part of that talk where she continues to systematically dismantle arguments against plant-based nutrition. This talk was given during the Canadian Plant-Based Nutrition Conference hosted by the Canadian Academy of Lifestyle Medicine and Plant-Based Health Professionals UK. We sincerely thank Dr. Zara Kassam, co-chair of the conference and founding president of Plant-Based Canada for giving us permission to upload this and other talks from that conference. Now we bring you registered dietitian Lauren McNeil for the final part of her talk.
1: So the next one is vitamin B12. So of the followers who took part in my poll, said they were concerned about getting enough vitamin B12 on a plant-based diet, but only 35% were taking a vitamin B12 supplement. The biggest reason for this were lack of knowledge concerning the need to take a vitamin B12 supplement, relying on fortified food for vitamin B12 supplementation, and just forgetting to take the supplement. So lack of vitamin B can lead to many adverse health effects that may be associated with kind of the negative implications of starting a vegan diet. Vitamin B12 is required for DNA synthesis and red blood cell um, synthesis, particularly for bone marrow. And vitamin B12 actually helps to rid the body of homocysteine, which is a potentially harmful breakdown product of protein that in excessive amounts may lead to cardiovascular disease. So with this being said, it is very, very important to make sure that we're getting enough vitamin B12. A lot of people who are kind of against the vegan movement will say that although, because vitamin B12 is the nutrient that can't be made in adequate amounts by the body, can't be found in adequate amounts in plant-based foods. This must mean that the vegan diet is unnatural, but this fails to recognize that animals actually get the B12 from bacteria in the soil, and more increasingly these days, their feed is actually fortified with vitamin B12 due to our depleted soil. So our bodies do create a little bit of vitamin B12 in our gut, but this is not enough to rely upon. Some people rely on fortified food for vitamin B12 intake, but I actually don't recommend this because the amount that we eat on a day-to-day basis, and especially the amount of fortified food that we eat, varies from day to day. Instead, I always recommend that clients take a vitamin B12 supplement in order to make sure that you are meeting your needs. I've had many clients who have reported feeling very tired and lethargic on a plant-based diet, and once I've realized that they're not taking a vitamin B12 supplement, and once we get one of those in them, they've uh, seen drastic improvements in their energy levels within just a matter of months, basically. It's important to remember with this that it can take months or even years to see a vitamin B12 deficiency, on a blood work, so we need to be very cognizant that we're getting enough vitamin B12, taking a supplement, kind of regardless of what our blood work is saying, because the negative implications of having uh, low levels of vitamin B12 can start before we even see the deficiency on the blood work. Omega-3. So this is a big one about a plant-based diet, and many people think that omega-3 can only be obtained from fish. So out of the followers who took part in my poll, 53% said that they were concerned about getting enough omega-3 on a plant-based diet. So the body is able to produce all fatty acids it needs aside from two. These are omega-3 and omega-6. Both omega-3 and omega-6 are very, very important for the inflammatory responses in our body, so we do need both of them. However, omega-3 in particular, the breakdown products of omega-3, which are EPA and DHA, have been shown to protect against cardiovascular disease, have beneficial effects on brain and eye health, they're anti-inflammatory, and they prevent chronic inflammation in our body, so they are especially important to make. ALA is the precursor to EPA and DHA. So we need to be consuming that ALA in order to ensure that our body can make that EPA and the DHA. So, there are two very important things that I consider when I'm working with clients in order to ensure that they are going to be able to make enough EPA and DHA. The first of which is to make sure that you're getting that omega 3 BALA. We can get these from ground flax seeds, hemp, chia, walnuts, um, flax, and hemp oil, and I encourage clients to get about two to three tablespoons of this per day in order to make sure we're getting enough so we can make that EPA and DHA. Some studies have shown that the conversion of ALA into EPA and DHA might be relatively weak and inconsistent, so we do need to make sure that we're getting enough of that ALA in order to support our bodies in breaking it down. The other really important factor in ensuring that we're able to form enough EPA and DHA is that we're not getting too much omega-6. This is because omega-6 competes for the desaturation enzymes in our body that might stop us from breaking down into EPA and DHA, which is where all the benefits are. So our body typically favors ALA in this desaturation process, which is a good thing, but if we have too much omega-6, then that omega-6 breakdown will be favored. I typically recommend clients to get about a 2-to-1 ratio of omega-6 to omega-3, and sometimes up to -to 4-to-1, depending, but the typical Western diet actually has about a 10-to-1 up to a 50-to-1 ratio of omega-6 to omega-3, so we actually have a long way to go there. Um, This is because a lot of omega-6 is found in processed foods. Things like processed salad dressings, margarines, uh, cookies, cakes, desserts, things like that, and also things like safflower oil, sunflower oil, um, corn oil, and sesame oil. So I do encourage clients to reduce their intake of that in order to make sure that their body is able to make enough EPA and DHA. Some people might benefit from taking a supplement that has DHA in them, um, and with EPA, a lot of them have both in them, but that's something that I would need to kind of evaluate on a one-to-one basis. So the takeaway here is the two mechanisms to make sure that you're getting enough EPA and DHA are first to make sure that you're consuming enough ALA-rich foods, like your ground flax seeds, chia seeds, walnuts, hemp hearts, and also to watch the amount of omega-6 rich foods that you're consuming as well. The next big one is iron. And I think a lot of people assume that we can only get iron from animal-based foods. Of the people who took part in my poll, 57% said they were concerned about getting enough iron on a plant-based diet. So it's a common myth that iron deficiency anemia only occurs in vegans and vegetarians, but studies have actually shown that iron deficiency anemia occurs just as commonly in those who consume omnivorous diets as those who consume whole food plant-based diets. Iron is a constituent of red blood cells and it plays a role in transporting oxygen throughout our body um, and kind of carrying away the metabolic waste products in our body. Um, So it is really important that we are making sure we're getting enough, and if we don't have enough iron, we can feel those kind of typical anemic symptoms, like feeling really tired and lethargic. We've been led to believe that iron can only be found in animal products, but this actually isn't the case. There are two different types of iron, which are heme iron and non-heme iron. Heme iron is typically found in animal-based foods, whereas non-heme iron is typically found in plant-based foods. It is true that heme iron is more readily absorbed by the body. However, this might not always be a good thing. Some studies have shown that elevated levels of heme iron in our body might lead to things like increased risk of Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease, and type 2 diabetes. And this might be because our body is not able to regulate how much heme iron we are absorbing from our food. In contrast, we can regulate the amount of non-heme iron that we are absorbing from our food, meaning that if we have too high levels of iron in our body, we will decrease the amount that we are absorbing, but if we have too low levels, then we will increase the amount that we are absorbing. Some other studies have shown that um, those who follow a plant based diet might have low levels of ferritin, which are our storage forms of iron in the body. But it's not very clear that having high levels of ferritin is actually a good thing, um, especially if you're someone who consumes iron-rich sources on a daily basis, which we all should be, um, because high levels of ferritin might lead to insulin sensitivity and type 2 diabetes. So I always encourage clients to get iron-rich foods with most of their meals. These are things like dark leafy greens, like kale, napa cabbage, bok choy, broccoli, um, beans, legumes, such as lentils and black beans are amazing sources of plant-based iron. Certain whole grains like oatmeal and certain seeds like pumpkin seeds are all going to be really, really good sources of plant-based iron. We also can do a few other things with our diet to make sure that we're actually getting those good amounts of iron. The first of which is pairing iron-rich foods with foods that's rich in vitamin C. So studies have shown that pairing just 50 milligrams of vitamin C, which is about the amount in half a bell pepper, with iron-rich foods increases the amount of iron that we're absorbing six-fold, so this is really great. Um, Vitamin C-rich foods are things like, of course, citrus fruits, lemons, limes, strawberries, cantaloupes, kiwis, broccoli, bell peppers, these are all rich in vitamin C. We can also soak or sprout our things like whole grains and legumes in order to increase the bioavailability of iron in our food. And we also might want to be cognizant of the amount of um, things like red wine, coffee, tea because of their tannins and polyphenols that we're consuming with our food because these might decrease the amount of iron that we're absorbing from our food. So I always encourage clients to have things like coffee or red wine about an hour spaced away from meals to make sure that they're getting the maximum absorption in our food. So the main takeaway here is that as long as you are consuming a well-planned and diverse plant-based diet filled with these foods, you should have no problem getting enough iron. I've had tons of clients who have drastically improved their iron intake by just adding things like dark leafy greens to their meals, incorporating lentils, and pairing things with vitamin C-rich foods as well. So last, but certainly not least, we have soy. So there's a huge misconception, and I would say about 70% of the clients that come to see me, that's just a ballpark guess, um, about soy. And of the followers who took part in my poll, 29% said they were concerned about consuming soy for health reasons. Soybeans contain phytoestrogens called isoflavones that can bind to estrogen receptor sites. However, plant-based estrogens are not the same as human estrogens and have much weaker activity. Furthermore, plant-based estrogens are selectives in the estrogen sites that they bind to, which determines whether they have a very weak estrogen-like activity in our body or an anti-estrogen-like activity in our body. Recent research has actually shown that isoflavones act on reproductive cells like breast or uterus tissue and have anti-estrogen-like activities and they bind to bone tissue and have slight slight estrogen-like activity. Both of these things are actually very, very beneficial to our health. Studies have shown that in those who consume soy have a reduced risk of developing breast cancer and a reduced risk of breast, breast cancer, death. For the men out there, soy has actually been linked to reduced risk of developing prostate cancer and reduced prostate cancer cell growth. These are all at servings of about two to three servings of soy per day in the traditional soy foods, like tofu, tempeh, edamame, and soy milk. So the main takeaway here is that soy is either beneficial for our health or maybe it doesn't have too much of an effect, but either way, servings of about two to three servings per day of traditional soy foods have been shown to be healthy and beneficial and a great source of protein. I couldn't really think of a client case study for this one in particular, so I just wanted to share that I have tons of male clients who come and see me, and none of them have reported getting man boobs from consuming, soy. <laughs> so the main takeaway here is that a well-planned and diverse plant-based diet can be highly nutritious. Sorry for that. I just wanted to reiterate that this is, of course, public health messaging. And if you are someone who thinks that they might need a bit of help one-on-one, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. Um, you can find me on Instagram, tasting2thrive underscore RD. You can email me, Lauren, at tastingtothrive. You can find me on my website, all that good stuff. Um, and thank you so much, Zara and Shruti, for having me here and putting on this
0: amazing conference. Well, that concludes Lauren McNeil's talk. We thank her for equipping us with ways to respond to those who may have doubts about plant-based nutrition. As you can see, there are simple, yet powerfully convincing ways to respond to those who may have doubts and questions about eating plant-based. You can follow Lauren on Instagram at her handle, tastingtothrive_rd underscore and learn more about her amazing services at tastingtothrive.com. You can partner with Lauren McNeil by sharing this information with your family, friends, and loved ones. Together we can help more people make the life-changing transition to plant-based nutrition. We would like to express our gratitude to the speakers and to the chair of the conference, Dr. Zarqa Sam, for permitting Pathways to upload these talks so that you, our listeners, can be blessed by them. In return, we encourage all our listeners to share this information with their family and friends. To watch video versions of these talks, please go to the official website of Plant-Based Canada which is plantbasedcanada.org. This podcast is brought to you by Pathways to Wellness Lifestyle Medicine, a group of clinics based in Toronto, Canada, with a special focus on lifestyle medicine. To learn more about what we do, you can go to www.pathwaystowholeness.ca. To stay up to date, remember to subscribe to the podcast. You can also listen directly online at the website or on YouTube. Thank you again for tuning in today, and remember, your lifestyle is medicine.